Hello, everyone. I am April Sharice. I am the CEO of Upland Avenue Productions, and I want to welcome all of you to Vision 2020. So the basis of hosting this webinar is to make sure that we provide important information um, and tools that you can use as an entrepreneur, um, as a writer, and, and also as a citizen so that we all can come out better on the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic. And to start things off of Vision 2020 today, we have a good friend of mine, Ms. Danielle Lewis, who is the owner and broker of the Smith Lewis Insurance Group. And she's going to cover everything that you can possibly imagine and want to know about insurance, as well as how we can use this to our benefit to create generational wealth and really build the type of financial legacy that we all desire to have. So. Um, Danielle, I'll let you go ahead and start from here. Awesome. So first, I want to thank everyone for tuning in this evening. Um, I know it's a lot of things on people's mind, especially with everything that's going on, on how we can go from flat broke to a financial boss. Um, and so first, I want to apologize for being outside um, in the windy area that I'm in. Um, but just a little bit about myself and how I actually came to do this within this industry. Um, in 2009, my matriarch of our family, she passed. Um, and what happened was we went to the funeral director and she had been paying for a life insurance policy. And I won't say the life insurance company's name because they're still in existence. Um, but she had been paying for a policy since 1948. Wow. And in 2009 is when she actually passed. And she was paying, I would say, roughly about $80 a month right. since 1948. And when we went to the funeral director, her, we turned the paperwork in because we knew she had coverage. We knew that because she paid that bill faithfully. Um, when she, we took it there, they came back and they told us that it was only worth $4,500. Wow. So I don't know if everybody's good with math, but, um, from 1948 up until 2009, that's about 61 years. And so paying $80 a month, she came to be paying almost $59,000 for a $4,500 policy. And so that sparked something within me. That made me know that I have to reach out and educate individuals because I do not want them to mourn twice. My goal has always been to not let other families have to deal with the things that we dealt with when we mourned our matriarch. And so Smith Lewis Insurance Group came to pass. We started out just in life insurance and then we grew into property and casualty. But my passion has always been life insurance because what I want everyone else to know is what other people know. You know, I want our community to know what it is that everyone else knows and how to utilize life insurance and disability income insurance to their advantage and use them as a legacy building tool. So, what I would like to do before I actually get started is I always want people to answer this one question for me. My question is always, what is your most important asset? What is the asset that you feel is most important to you? And I'll just... Hmm? Yeah, I'm just saying that that's a good question to, to ask because I don't think a lot of us really... Put that into perspective like that like what is the most important asset 
Right. What is that most important? And some people will come up with houses. They'll come up with their cars. They'll come up with a lot of different things. But at Smith & Lewis Insurance Group, our thing is the most important asset that you have is you. Think about it. You're, you're a money-making machine. And if your machine stops, then everything else that you've worked so hard for disappears. So you are your most important asset. And it's not only our job to help you understand how to protect your money-making machine, but it's also our job to understand and teach you how to leverage your money-making machine and get you to take your what you currently have and make it into a legacy building tool. So that's the question that I always like to ask because that kind of takes me into all the other topics that we are going to discuss. And I'll let April go ahead and start asking the questions so I can give you the answers as best as I can. <laughs> great, great. So one of the most important questions that I think a lot of people kind of go back and forth with is having a general understanding of the different types of insurance. Like what exactly is life insurance? What does it cover? Are there any other types of insurances that I should consider as well? So, Okay, so just talking about life insurance in general, there are many different types of product within the life insurance industry. So really and truly, a lot of people know about term life and they know about whole life. Now there are, um, within the term life, there's 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, and I believe up to 40 years now within the term. And the term is exactly what it says. It's a term. It ends after those years are up. So if you purchase a policy, say at age 20, and you have a 20-year term, your policy is going to end at age 40. As soon as you actually, your 20 years is up, as soon as you pay for that, it's done. Then the whole life is what's considered a permanent policy. So as long as you're keeping up your policy, you're going to have that policy intact. The other difference between term and whole life is that term life does not have a cash value attached to it. Whole life does. And that's why whole life is a little bit more expensive than term life. You'll see a lot of people that may have $15,000 policies, $20,000 policies. They are paying maybe $100 a month. And that's because whole life actually has a cash value attached to it. Term life, on the other hand, you can have what's called a return of premium. And a lot of people don't know about this, but it's a win-win for the consumer. If you purchase term life and have a return of premium attached to it, everything that you have invested into that policy from day one up until the end of the term, you receive a check in the mail in that large amount, that lump sum. So for instance, if you pay a $50 a month policy, for 30 years, at the end of your 30 years, you're going to get a check around $18,000. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that. They only go for the price point rather than the value. So right. you may spend a little bit more for the, the return of premium, but think about it. It's like you, you're volunteering your money if you don't have it. I don't yeah. like to volunteer my money. I don't know who else may like to just <laughs> hand over their money, but that's, you know, that's what you're doing if you don't have the return of premium attached to your policy. Okay. Okay. That's good. And just can you break it down for those who don't understand um, on the whole life policy exactly what the cash uh, value that's attached to that policy, what that actually means for them? Sure. So with the whole life policy, what I will talk about is um, 
the cash value on that portion. And then there's another policy I want to bring into the fold, which is called a universal life. Okay. And that's a mixture of the two of term and whole life. And I'll tell you the difference. So with whole, whole life, you get maybe pennies on the dollar. So you may have someone who has a whole life policy of $10,000 and maybe by year five, they may have accrued about maybe $1,000 and they do cash value loans up against that. So what tends to happen is they pay you every time that you pay a premium, they put a little bit of interest into a savings account. It, it acts as a savings vehicle and you can borrow against that money that's in that savings account. So the whole life is a savings account pretty much, okay. but it doesn't give you any type of real interest. So you have people who may have a $10,000 whole life policy. They've had this policy for maybe 10, 15 years, and they may have $2,500 in cash value. So if they were to surrender, and surrender means to hand that policy back over to the insurance carrier, they would get $2,500, not the $10,000. Mm. So after everything they've invested into that policy, they only receive $2,500, the cash value of that policy. Now, universal life policies are a little bit different. They combine the term life and the whole life together. So you get the permanent death benefit of, say, $100,000, if that's what you go for. And then you also have a cash value attachment to it. Now, this part of that policy actually is attached to the index market. So you have a 2% flat rate which they put interest every time, every month, every time you pay that policy, they give you 2% interest of whatever you're paying. And then if the carrier does well in the index market or the stock market, then they give you a little bit more, but you never go below that 2% of what you're actually um, guaranteed. Okay. That's good to know. Um, if I were looking to acquire new insurance right now, what are some of the questions I should be asking? So with the coronavirus, there are a lot of different questions. And I'm not sure if anyone has actually tried to get an insurance policy lately. Um, but a lot of the carriers are asking more questions than just the health questions. Okay. They're asking, um, have you been in contact with anyone with COVID-19? Um, have you contracted COVID-19? Um, have you been even been tested for COVID-19? Also, they're asking, have you been on a cruise lately? And I know a lot of people may think that's, you know, redundant or why are you asking that? It's because it's a risk. COVID-19 has a lot of different things that life insurance carriers cannot put to risk on. So their mortality rates are changing. Their tables are changing. They, they have no idea of how many people will die because of this virus or what will they come in contact with someone, you know, just passing by. And I've given the, this person a policy um, a week ago and now they're dead, you know, dying two weeks later. So it's a lot of things that they have to ask to try to get their risk back in order. Um, with COVID-19, they just, it's, it's a lot of different things. And I don't know everything about it right now because it's so new. Um, now, the mortality rates and tables that they had back then, if you ask me any question about that, I can spill it out. But because coronavirus, we still don't know as much as we should know, they are pretty much in the same boat that we are. But they are changing some of the questions on there. Now, one of the good things about it right now is the fact that they are not doing the pyramids. 
a lot of African-Americans and Hispanics were afraid of getting life insurance policies because if you do do a pyramid, generally our weight and our height, we're unable to hit that target to get the good paying price. And so right now, because they don't have, they're unable to go into the homes and take the blood, take the urine and all of that stuff, they have to skip the pyramids. So we can kind of get the same price as someone else that may actually hit the table rating. That's good information because I think that people only look at the health side of COVID and not realizing that life as we know it in a lot of arenas is going to change because of this virus and, and, and everything that is happening across the globe. If I already have a policy, is that something that I should be concerned about or any, any changes with existing policies? No, um, there will be no changes to your existing policy. Um, now, if we kind of look at the legacy building tool, because right now with COVID-19, it's more on the protection side. You want to make sure that your family is protected. But if we want, to look, we want to look at the legacy building side of it, we need to go back to our agents and ask them to try and see if we can um, change our term policies from 10, 15 years to the 25, 30-year terms. That way, we know for a fact that we have enough time in case anything happens to us during that time because we don't know if COVID is coming back. So we have enough time to actually allow our legacy to be built during that time frame. We have a larger amount of money that can be dis distinguished between our family members. So our main goal is to make sure that we have larger terms if we have a term policy in place. And if we have a whole life policy, then we need to make sure that we can convert that policy into a larger lump sum. Because as we know it, because we can talk business, supply and demand, funerals are becoming extremely, you know, a demand for different funeral homes. We have some in New Orleans area who have sold out, like literally they have no room to take anyone else in. Wow. And so when this is coming in, the funeral directors are going to charge you more because money set, you know, money is what they need. And right. so what you need to make sure is if you had that $10,000 whole life policy, that may not cover it anymore. You need to make sure that you have something in place so that you can have your family buried because they're not going to give you a discount because, you know, that's what you had back then. They surely didn't give us a discount. We had to come up with the rest of the money, even though she had that policy since 1948. Now, in 1948, $4,500 may have put her in the ground lovely. But in 2009, that $4,500 didn't do anything. And so we also have to take that into factor. If you have a $10,000 or a $15,000 policy, you need to add that add more onto it because you never know how much they're going to add on top of what you're already paying in today's time. That's a good, that's good. Because if I hear you speak a lot about 20 and $30,000 policies, and I'm sure those are the most affordable rates that, you know, most of the public can afford. What, what would you say a person should think about and when trying to determine how much coverage they should be trying to acquire? Okay. So, <clears throat> I like to say you need three policies, okay? Three policies. One, you need to have a burial policy. And that can be a small policy. That can be your $15,000, your $20,000 whole life policy. Or if you are able to get a term, a $50,000 policy. You need to have that in place. That will actually take care of all final expenses. Anything that you have, you have 
family coming in that needs to travel to get to you. You have the obituary. You have the preacher that needs to be paid. Anything of that nature, that small policy will take care of it. Then number two, that's your large lump sum policy. So what you need to do is sit down, calculate all your debt, take all of that into consideration, mortgage, car notes, um, student loans, how much it would actually cost to take care of your kids from where they are at that age up until adulthood. You need to calculate all of that debt. And what's, what that's called is a need analysis. So once you cover everything that you're currently paying, the large lump sum amount of what you're paying. So say, for instance, you have a home that you're only paying $1,000 every month, but you have a $140,000 mortgage. You need to calculate all of that in there sit down, take that into consideration. Then you're going to buy a policy that covers all of that. Now, mind you, as the years are going on, you're going to be decreasing that debt, hopefully. And so that large lump sum is going to trickle down and allow the kids to have more money from when you pass up until the time they make adulthood. So that's number two. So to answer that question, you need to do what's called a needs analysis. But your third policy you need to have is what I call the trust fund policy. Mm-hmm. Okay. This policy you need to have in place so that say, for instance, you have a child that wants to go to college. You can set up a scholarship fund. If you have a child that has an entrepreneur mindset, you can be your own SBA. You can set up a small business grant for them. If you have a child who loves to save humanity, you can have a charity or a foundation set up. So that trust fund policy, you do what's called a trust agreement. That's your simple rules that tell them how I want this money dispersed. This is what I want it done with. And have someone designated within a will to say, this is the person that's going to handle all of that. But my trust shows exactly how I want them to go ahead ahead and spend this money. So again, from number one is that you're going to have your burial policy, the small amount, your lump sum policy, large lump sum policy. That's where your needs analysis comes in to take care of everything, mortgage, debt, all of those things. And then number three, that's going to be your trust fund policy. So that's how you utilize the life insurance to build a legacy. Your number one policy, that's to make sure that they're not mourning twice. They're not trying to come up with the money to bury you. And the number two is, I, I want to make sure my family is not left with any debt. And the number three is me making sure that my family has what they need in order to go to the next level from where I you know, want them to be. So you're the financial path setter. Again, you're your own money-making machine. Got it, got it. And just to reiterate, um, so those three policies that's going to be most important to generate wealth for us is going to be the burial policy, like you said, to cover any funeral expenses or getting family down to to the funeral. Um, And then we need to do the leads analysis so that we can have a policy that will cover any debt that we have remaining um, until, you know, the time comes where we uh, transition on. And then the third policy that you speak of that we should have is kind of what you consider a trust fund policy. Correct. Correct. And all three of these policies, are they considered to be a form of life insurance or are they, are they different uh, types of insurances? So all of these policies are life insurance. All of them, they can be either small term policies in the beginning or a whole life policy, or you can have what's called the universal life policy, like I spoke about a little bit earlier. You can have it to where that policy has the term, the term death benefit, which is the amount that takes care of the large lump sum. 
And then the amount that you're receiving from interest can be the trust fund amount because you are getting that money saved and it's accruing interest. So you don't necessarily have to have three separate policies, but you need to have it to where the savings vehicle comes in with those policies. So I would always recommend if you're able to do the term policy in the beginning for the small policy, that would be better because you can get $50,000 to cover everything. Mm -hmm. Then your middle policy, you can have a term policy or you can do the universal life to cover policies two and three. Okay. And then the main differentiating factor between the the term and then the universal or the whole is going to just be the cost that we, the premium that we pay each month. Correct. So with the term policies, they are a little bit less expensive than your universal life and whole life. And that's because universal life policies and whole life policies are permanent policies. So as long as you pay the bill on those, then you're going to have that coverage. So there's no need to, oh, I'm, you know, I'm turning 45. My pol I started my policy when I was 20. I need to go and redo it. No, with universal life and whole life policies, they're up until age 120. So they're there as long as, you know, you are paying the premium. Term policies, again, have a term attached to them. So what I want everyone to do is I want to make sure, because we have a lot of agents who want the sale, and they are selling them this 10-year term or 15-year term because they know they can't really afford or go beyond into the 30-year term. Mm -hmm. As the terms grow, they do get a little bit more expensive, but that's because you're getting older and the risk associated with them having to pay out is a little bit greater. But the best thing for you to do is to have that long term because Say, for instance, you get the policy at age 30, you have a 10-year term. At age 40, you've now had high blood pressure, you have diabetes, you have COPD, whatever's going on across that 10-year, when you get to age 40, you now have to get another policy with all of those diseases that you have. You don't get the policy from age 30. You have to pay from age 40. So even if you start a policy at age 30, and you've received all of those different diseases and your policy ends at age 60, you had return a premium on there, you get your $18,000 or how much ever you invested check back, then you can go and utilize that check and pay for what's called a single premium check, single premium policy. That's where you only pay that $18,000 or how much ever for that policy and the policy is yours. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. And before we continue on with how to create a generational wealth with insurance, I do want to take a step back since you started speaking about the agent. Um, are there some things that we should be uh, pushing or asking our agents that they may not be forthcoming with um, other than the, the, what we can afford when, when selecting an insurance policy? So you definitely want to make sure that the carrier that they are putting you with, that they have a great insurance score. So making sure that they are rated high. Generally, I don't like to deal with any insurance carrier who does not have at least an A plus rating. And if you go on, even if your, your insurance agent does not tell you up front, ask them what carrier they're going to write you with before you sign on the dotted line. 
go on that carrier's website, every carrier has to put what their rating is. Find out the rating. The rating consists of if they're paying out on time, if they have um, enough funds to make sure that they are able to pay you, um, how many people are they insuring, how long they've been in the business, if they're a sustainable company, um, if they're a reliable company. Those ratings matter. So you need to make sure that the person that's signing you up, that they have good rating carriers. Because there are a lot of fly-by-night insurance carriers. And don't get me wrong, a lot of them do not care because of the simple matter that they have what's called a guaranteed fund. So if an insurance carrier does tend to go out of business, then there's a state fund set aside that will pay for it. But you don't want to always have to go into the state fund. So you want to make sure that the, the carrier that you are paying your money to is reliable and will actually pay you. So that's one of the things that you definitely need to make sure of is that the carrier that the person is writing for is a great company. Got it. And then you, want, you also want to make sure that if you are paying directly, that they actually have um, what's called, I'm sorry, it's, it's implied writing. Okay, so making sure that they are able to write and give you a conditional receipt. The conditional receipt is showing that when you leave out of that office, I've given my premium to this agent. When I leave out of the office, if something happens to me along the way going home, then my family is covered. So you want to make sure that they have that type of writing ability. Okay. That's really good. So one quick question pertaining to COVID-19. Um, for people who have um, tested positive or have um, suffered and then beat the virus, what are some, some things they would be looking forward to in trying to acquire that policy? So I've gotten, I actually received a lot of questions about that. Um, it does not mean denied. It does not mean denied. So what it will mean is that it will take a little bit longer for them to approve you, but you're not denied, okay? So if you have had overall good health before COVID-19 and you've contracted, you've beat it, and now you're trying to get life insurance, it does not mean that you're going to be denied. It just means that they're going to take a little bit longer to actually issue your policy because what they have to make sure of is that the risk or COVID-19 does not come back. And this time, because your immune system is a little bit lower than what it was, that it won't kill you. Got so it. don't fret or don't worry that you're, you know, every policy that you try to acquire is going to be denied. No, they're not denying you. They're just waiting to make sure that you are not a greater risk. Cool. And for those of us who have small children, um, I know um, in the past, having writers have, you know, to cover our children um, was crucial um, before they, you know, became college bound. I think it was like 21 or something like that. Is mm -hmm. that something that parents should be looking for um, when selecting a, a new policy now? So here's my thing with children writers. I never suggest it. I always suggest getting a child their own whole life policy or what's called a juvenile policy. The reason for that is because we don't know what's going to happen to them between the ages of when you sign them up 
up until 21 when their rider is done. And if anything does happen to them when, you know, in between that time or they've contracted a disease, they've gotten high blood pressure or whatever happened um, to them during that time, when they become 21, it's the same thing like with your policy. So say, for instance, I was explaining how if you get high blood pressure across those 10 years, you have to get a policy based on those medical conditions at age 40. Same thing with your children. If you get a policy for them at age 10, and then at 21, they, you know, they're ready to get their own policy. They are now off of your, your policy. In between that time, if anything has happened to their health, when they become 21, they're going to have to pay for the policy amount at that health issue, whatever is going on with them. So instead, if you would like, get a whole life policy, set that up for them. I recommend never going anything above $50,000. And there's a reason for that because after $50,000 of whole life on the juvenile, the insurance carriers start looking at you kind of suspicious. Why are you getting a whole life policy larger than this amount? So get a whole life policy on your child. It's a permanent policy. Nothing will ever, if, if anything happens to them across that time, they get any type of diabetes, any health issues, they still have that policy in place. One of the other benefits of it is if you sign them up at age zero, a couple months, and you're paying $4.50 for $25,000 or $30,000 worth of coverage, when they become 40 years old, for that $25,000, $30,000 worth of coverage, they're still paying $4.50. It never changes because it is a permanent policy. Not only that, but you also have, again, the cash value or the cash accrual attached to it. So you're accruing cash for them. So when they get older and maybe they fall on hard times, they have something they can go back and take a loan up against without having to go to a bank, Mm -hmm. without having to worry about anything. They have something set up for them. So that's a legacy building tool. So utilize that whole life policy, purchase it for your child at a young age. When they get older, they will have that cash value set aside for them. They don't have to go and use, you know, the banks to get money if they need to purchase a car. They don't have to utilize student loans if they don't, you know, don't need to because they have that policy set up for them from when they were younger. And before we move past um, the different types of um, insurance policies, what about those of us who feel, well, my employer offers me a life insurance policy, uh, what are some benefits or suggestions that you could offer those people? So um, with employer policies, they're considered what's called group policies. And so with a group life insurance, what tends to happen is they kind of, I don't know if everyone may know about workers comp um, and how that works. What they do is they try to make sure that you did nothing to yourself. And it takes a while for them to actually approve you. So group and life insurance is the exact same thing. They are going to dive in and dig deep and try to make sure that you didn't commit suicide or, you know, you didn't have someone kill you to make sure that you get the money. And so it's going to take a while for them, for your family to get that money. Your family may not see that money for like 12 months. Oh, wow. That's not going to work. So you need to have not only that policy, and I get it because group life insurance is relatively, relatively less expensive. You may be paying 5 $6 a month 
for $200,000 worth of coverage, but your family is going to suffer for 12 months waiting on that money if you didn't have anything else in place. So if you are able to, you need to make sure that you have a policy set aside, a primary policy set aside that's going to take care of your family up until the time that money will then come into effect. Got it. You're really giving a lot of good information, things that I'm sure people have never thought of or even considered, especially with um, the employer offered insurance. I know a lot of people really hang their hat on saying, why well, I have time yes. to get my own policy because of my employer. Um, when they disassociate or get fired from that position, does that policy go with them or do they have the option to get that, that policy, take the policy with them? So with hope, with life insurance, it's different than your health insurance. With health insurance, you have the option of taking that policy with you. You're just going to have to pay your individual amounts. Life insurance is different. You do not get that policy to go with you because the reason why it's so inexpensive because your employer is paying that amount, paying majority of the money towards it. So they snatch that away. That's why it's voluntary. You don't have to even sign up for it. You can X off the dotted line or whatever. Um, but no, you do not get to take that with you. That is no longer your policy. So if you've been with a company, and I'll utilize um, Sears, for example. When Sears was laying, were laying off all of these individuals and they had all of their benefits set aside in Sears, they have had people that were there for like 30, 40 years. Now they have no life insurance because that's all they had. That was all they were banking on. Now, if they do get another, they go try to get a life insurance policy, they may be close to 70 years old. Do you know how much that is going to cost them? Right. So you need to get your primary policy in place now. So it doesn't matter if you are, you know, just starting there and they're trying to tell you, oh, just sign up for it. It's $5 a month. That's totally fine. Have that in place. But if anything happens, because as we can see right now, companies are closing doors. They are, you know, going straight to online. Um, Walmart is even laying off a lot of people because they are doing a lot of, you know, pick up and go. Right. Make sure that you have that in order because if they let you go, you don't get to keep that life insurance. And if you are let go 30 years from when you started, then you have to get a life insurance policy and probably will be spending maybe a hundred to $150 a month trying to get the same coverage that you had before. That makes sense. And I hope you guys are taking notes and remembering this, writing things down, um, because this is great to talk, go back over and talk with your spouse about or your family members that may not be in the home with you as well, just so that they know um, how they should be creating this wealth as well. Um, from this point, Danielle, I do want to talk about different subgroups or demographics, like what should married couples be considering or the types of conversations they should be having um, around insurance? So a lot of people don't like to talk about death and I get it. You know, it's just like, you know, Hey, we, we just started this life together. This is not something I want to be talking about. You know, we have forever. You don't, you do not have forever. So you need to sit down and you need to really go over, you know, if you are the breadwinner of the family, you have to see exactly how much of your income or how much your family will be in despair if your income is not coming in. And then even if you're not the breadwinner, if you're the stay-at-home mom, imagine not having someone take your kids to school. 
imagine not having someone, you know, cook the dinner while the husband or the wife is at work. However, you know, whatever your role is, you have to sit down and calculate how much I'm contributing to my marriage. That way, once they, you know, they're mourning you or once the, the actual death has happened, they can get on with their life or, you know, with their normal way of living instead of having to figure out how am I going to pay for this? How is this, you know, going to be taken care of? So what you all need to really do is sit down with your spouse, look at all of the bills that you have. And I don't just mean um, mortgage and car notes, things like that, but how much it would cost for childcare if, you know, the mom or the dad is no longer able to stay at home with the kids. How much does it cost to go and get groceries? Will I have to pay for a nanny while I'm at work? You know, things like that. Really average out how much it's going to cost in order to make sure that your life can try to get back to somewhat of a normal state. Um, again, and then there are also a lot of people um, when they are really talking about their marriage, they focus primarily on the mortgage. And this is a whole nother topic, but I want them to understand that the insurance that you pay when you sign on a dotted line for that mortgage, that is not the insurance that is going to take care of your home. Okay. If you were to die, understand that because we're talking about building legacies. So I want you all to understand that that is not going to take care of your home. If you were to die also disability income insurance, Life insurance does not take care of your home if you become disabled during that time, okay? There are some different um, riders in there that can take care of you if you have a critical illness. But if it's just, oh, I broke my leg, I can't go to work, um, my hand is messed up, I can't do what I normally do, you need to have disability income insurance in place. That's about protection. It protects your income, okay? But from the legacy building side, you wanna make sure that disability income not only protects your income, but it has what's called retirement protection, as well as um, customizable coverage. So it will protect your income, giving you the portion of income that you're losing out every month to make sure that you have a house you know, to stay in, your kids are fed, things of that nature. But your retirement, because what will happen is if you don't have disability income insurance in place, you're going to wind up having to touch your retirement. And that's 401ks, that's your 503bs, whatever it is that you put your money into to save up for your retirement, you're going to have to touch that if you can't go back to work. So disability income insurance can assist with that, okay? Retirement coverage. You, what you want to do is make sure that while you're disabled, you're able to still put money into your retirement from your disability income insurance. Then the customizable coverage. Say for instance, when you get the um, disability income insurance at your starting out, you're making $17 an hour with your, your current employer. Well, years pass by and now you're making $45 an hour. If your policy does not have customizable coverage, then you are going to still be at the $17 an hour, okay? Wow. Wow. If you do not tell your agent, hey, I want my disability income insurance to move up as my salary moves up, then you're going to be stuck and you're going to receive only $17 an hour. Because if we're talking about building a legacy, 
if something happens to you and you have to get that disability income and you're only getting $17 an hour, then guess what? The lifestyle that you're living at $45 an hour, you can no longer afford until you get back on your feet. So you want to make sure that you're still able to contribute to your retirement fund. And you want to make sure that you're able to have it customizable to where it can move up from this, whatever low pay that you're at now up until the higher pay. If you're, you know, doing trainings and different things like that, if you foresee yourself making more money down the road, make sure that your policy is customizable. Perfect. Perfect. I want to ask two more questions before we wrap up. Um, one of them, um, it pertains to business owners and entrepreneurs, um, which I know a lot of the people watching, they own some type of business, whether it's just them or they have a few employees. Um, what type of considerations should they be um, looking into now? Okay, so what we found in statistics now is that there are a lot of people who are becoming business owners and not only business owners, but they're going into business with other people. And so say, for instance, you don't know, you know, if you and I were business partners, you don't know what my health is like. I may come into work all the time and be like, oh, I'm happy, go lucky. And then I'm going to the doctor and something happens next week. I'm dead. So the thing is, what you want to make sure that you all have in place is what's called a buy-sell agreement. Okay, and that's a life insurance plan. Have that in place because what's going to happen is, don't get me wrong, I love everyone's family and I hope that business partners love their business partner's family. But if something happens to the person that's the business partner, the family's gonna wanna come in and they're gonna wanna take over and everything that you, you and your partner have built, the family's gonna try to undo it. So what you wanna have in place is a buy-sell agreement and that's for both partners. So that way, if anything happens to said partner, you pay out that their portion of the business to that family member, and then you are able to take over, take over, you know, your business. You don't have to worry about anybody coming, um, take it from under you. Not only that, but say for instance, you are just by yourself and you have employees. Okay. Well, you may have one employee or maybe two or three employees who are what's called your key employees. You have your employees that take care of everything in the office. They're the people that lock up, take your deposits, wherever. If anything happens to them, you not only have to train someone to take over, but you have to be able to get into their space and do exactly what they were doing. No one can do it exactly how that person was doing it. So you're going to have to take away from your schedule, go in and really delve in into taking over that time and utilizing your time now to train someone. So the key person's policy or life insurance policy, what that will do is make sure that you have the money in place to train someone, to make sure that these individuals are, you know, able to continue on the business like this person was doing. So you will have the money set aside to be able to take time away and go ahead and make sure that expenses are still being paid for the business. So you need to have a key person's policy in place, as well as a buy-sell agreement. Got it, got it. And the last question that I have, um, and again, for anyone who uh, feel like we did not answer all of their questions 
please feel free to contact Danielle um, personally and directly. I will put all of her contact information below um, as well as um, some social media handles so you can follow her, her and continue to get tips throughout the year as well. But the last question that I have is about uh, the cancer policies. At one time, that used to be a big thing as well. Is that something that is still a lucrative policy to have or or will it, is it phasing out as new, new um, health issues are coming around like COVID-19? So no, um, your cancer policy is something that you definitely still need to have. Because as we know, if we look at statistics, more people are still contracting cancer than ever before. And that's because we have more nuclear plants and all of that other good stuff. I won't go into why we're getting cancer and all that, but it's still something that you need to have in place. Um, cancer policies pay out a lump sum because what we know is during the time that someone may have cancer and they're going through radiation or whatever they're you know dealing with at the time, they have a lot of bills that need to be paid. And so the cancer policy pays out a large lump sum. You don't have to worry about um, getting small, minor amounts every month. Take care of what you need to take care of with that large lump sum. Now, what I can say is some life insurance policies have that in place. That would be considered like your terminal illness. And so they will pay out a portion of your life insurance benefit to you at that time if the doctor writes and says, yes, this person has stage three cancer. You know, so life insurance, that's one thing you definitely need to look into if your policy comes with terminal illness rider and critical illness rider, because you can get the ability to touch that money, your large lump sum, so that you can handle whatever needs to be handled and your family is not going through disparity. So definitely keep that cancer policy. Do not throw that away. If, even if you have, I believe they are coming up with um, heart attack policies. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as African-Americans and Latinos, that's something that does, you know, kill a lot of us. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we have that in place as well, because we can't go back to work right after having a heart attack. The heart attack policy will allow us to be able to take care of ourselves and still maintain our normal livelihood. So have those policies in place. They run, you can purchase them individually for maybe $5 a month, or you can have them for your entire family for about 18 to $20 a month. Sounds good. Well, you covered a lot of information. You have given us so much to think about, so many different ways that we can utilize policies to create wealth, whether it's immediately if we're disabled on a job or whether we're going through something as an entrepreneur and our partner um, passes on, then we have options there as well. Um, and also for our children, you know, to make sure that they are covered uh, well into their adulthood and as well as something happens to us, we have something to leave behind. Uh, is there anything you wanna share with the viewers um, personally or tidbits of information you wanna leave them with? Well, what I definitely want you all to know is it's not as important of the products that you go and get, but how to utilize them that will actually build your legacy. If you have a small whole life policy, because I do not tell anyone, whatever you currently have, something is better than nothing. But make sure you know how to utilize them to build your legacy. If you're just utilizing them for protection, that's totally fine as well. But understand how your policy works 
that's the key. So that way, if something happens to you, you can say, hey, I want this to go this way. So that way my family is not only protected, but they can continue living the way that I had them living when I was here. Mm, makes sense. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. Um, and shortly, um, I'll be following up with everyone just to see if there's any direct questions that you want me to pass on to uh, the Yale. And maybe you guys can get in touch and speak directly and get some policy started. This is the year for us to go ahead and make some changes. The beginning of 2020 has thrown any idea or plan that <laughs> thought we could have had off track and really allowed us time to get down to what's important and things like this is what's important. So until next time, thank you guys. Mm -hmm.